G'day. I'm Dylan the Pit Fiend. It's been a big month and a half, and sometimes things like obscure hardcore podcasts have to take a backseat. First things first, though, there is now a Pit Fiend Discord. There's an invite to the server in the show notes, or you can go to discord.link slash pitfiend. Come hang out and tell me how wrong I am about Machine Gun Kelly. So, at the end of March, Antagonist AD released a four-track EP that I'm really into, and I actually pre-ordered the vinyl for. So I'm going to be taking a deep dive into a couple of the themes covered. Then I'm going to talk about the cool group in your local hardcore scene and why we are already friends. So this isn't a review of the Antagonist ADEP All Things, but these are my analyses of two of the themes covered by songs The System is Racist and Oppressive and Ten of Swords. So I'm generally sceptical of, like, wokeness. Virtue signalling and other disingenuous support of progressive ideas set off my now pretty well-tuned alarms after being a part of internet culture for this long. The gay marriage plebiscite in Australia revealed this in sharp relief, with companies swapping to rainbow logos for some period of time, either to appear like with the times or to avoid the ire of the loudest of keyboard warriors. In music, there was a point in Kent Cope's career where some seed of this kind of virtue signalling took root, and it's kind of tainted what might otherwise have been a very progressive and insightful career. Of course, their massive single, The Opener, remains one of the best modern songs that points to systemic oppression and reactive attitudes. Antagonist AD's The System is Racist and Oppressive is probably best thought of as a song in the same vein as The Opener. I think Antagonist AD would have to be pretty game to introduce a conversation like racism into a mostly white audience if they didn't really mean it. The song is obviously inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement and the associated activity here in Australia and in their home country of New Zealand, looking to highlight the disadvantage of, and in many cases, open racism against Aboriginal and Maori people today. The Australian story is actually even more damning than the Kiwi story, but it's not great over there. Maoris only make up 16% of the population, but they represent 50% of all deaths in custody. Antagonist AD are not writing a protest song intended to be heard by some other country on the other side of the world. Particularly since Trump came into power, and conservative voices have become more pronounced on the world stage, there's been a softened attitude towards racist voices when these voices could seem reasonable to some who hear them. Common ideas like colonialism was hundreds of years ago, they've had time to get it together and they've chosen not to, aren't being challenged the way they might have been in the early 2010s. Modern progressives are taking more of a representation and education approach. Antagonist AD clearly believes that this is the wrong idea, and we can't allow for behaviours to manifest from those ideas. They don't think this in like a metaphor either. The lyric they use is, hateful thoughts are violent and oppressive. Antag are wanting to convince us that any idea that separates us based on race is a violent idea. In fact, they go one step further than this. Lines like, you fools, you fools, fuck your old gods, fuck your tradition, don't exactly bring these people on side. This is clearly written for moderate progressives, probably a lot of people in the scene who might, for example, have friends who make jokes about petrol in the Northern Territory. Antag are saying that these comments are not harmless. They're rooted in genocidal attitudes, and so they're pseudo- or proto-genocidal comments. The lyric is, Your words and thoughts are violent, so don't be surprised when the world responds with violence. 
This isn't written as an understanding and inclusive sentiment. It's a rallying cry, a line in the sand separating out people who hold racist attitudes with no politically correct education angle. Only violence. With this song, Antagonist AD have tried not to overstep reactivity into hypocrisy. They call out modern racist commentary as violent, I'd say even when that commentary is not strictly calling for violence, and then they threaten violence in reaction. There's a brand of enlightened centrism that describes progressive and conservative ideas as both crazy, and such an enlightened centrist could try to point to Antag's idea here as evidence of their worldview. This person would be arguing in bad faith. For context, I want to add that one of the motifs on this EP is a kind of AI voice commenting throughout, and at the end of this track she says, We are for peace, yet we will not sway in the winds of hate. I think this is a well-summed up idea. Aboriginal and Maori deaths in custody are one of the measures that show us that racist systems, even centuries-old systems if they haven't been fully undone yet, have violent consequences. This is a problem that costs lives today, and that doesn't capture the quality of life issues that are much harder to measure, but much more widespread. Our response has to be urgent. We can't just wait for our leaders to die off so that we can undo the damage that they refuse to undo. We have to do it now. I don't think that this is a position that I'll get too much heat for from this audience. Antagonist AD's insight here is that if the needle really is going to move, we can't be just tricked into thinking that waiting is going to work. There is no entitlement to a fair and just society. No society in the past has been like ours, and no society in the future is going to be like ours, especially when the systems can only be changed by the people who those systems favour. Changing the cultural attitudes and the legacy structures that continue generational suffering is going to take real action, and not everybody is going to like it. Antagonist AD aren't literally telling the listener to go and start breaking in the windows at Parliament House, but they are equating the consequences of inaction with the tools we have available. We can't take later for an answer when it comes to stamping out racist attitudes. In politics and in business, you have different kinds of leaders. You have leaders who have a vision for radical change, and you have leaders who have an agenda for steady change. Antagonist AD are positioning themselves as leaders with a vision for radical change. They're not trying to tell us that violence and the tearing down of long-held traditions should be the order of the day, but they are trying to tell us that the change we need at the pace we need will mean we can't be quiet about it, and that in a world where ASIO is spending more and more time keeping tabs on right-wing extremist groups, the change we need might have consequences but we're already living with the consequences of not changing. Razor blades will be supplied to take the tongues from racists. So moving on to another track on that EP, Ten of Swords. Hardcore has covered depression from most angles pretty thoroughly over the years. It's done a pretty good job of it, to be honest. There might be an argument that the world doesn't need another hardcore song about being sad. Antagonist AD have chosen to lean into the wokeness embedded in this EP, and I don't mean that in a bad way, and describe the experience through the lens of a traditionally masculine character. This actually works especially for Antagonist AD as well. If you watch the video for The System is Racist and Oppressive, you can see that the vocalist is heavily tattooed and has at least seen the inside of a gym. 
adding to the aggressive genre he's in and his specific vocal style, he looks like he could be the little brother of Harm's Way vocalist James Pig, notable for looking like someone you'd never want to meet in a dark alley. The best songs I've heard that do this have rarely done it through allegory, and rarely multidimensionally, and even more rarely without some antagonist. I keep going back to La Dispute, but they're the band that I think have done it the best, particularly on Wildlife. On Wildlife, the character's depression is well characterised, but not through allegory. It is multidimensional in that they struggle with disentangling their depression and their identity. It also does have an antagonist, in that it was triggered by someone leaving, maybe from a breakup or their death. I'm oversimplifying, but I'm talking specifically here about the way the album talks about the experience of depression. Ten of Swords surprised me, genuinely, by covering the same topic delicately, multidimensionally, and with the added complexity of the entire experience lacking some trigger. I say it's covered delicately. I mean that some themes are only hinted at, not in the sense that the song is aesthetically delicate. This song is not delicate. Ten of Swords starts out like a pretty standard hardcore beatdown song, and indeed it does follow one, so it might not be until the line, I don't want to be here anymore, that it becomes clear that this is a song worth checking out the lyrics to. It is possible to have intelligible vocals in hardcore, but it is pretty difficult with Antag, so the lyric sheet is worth visiting. It would honestly be a fairly forgettable hardcore song about being sad, until the outro puts the rest of the song into context, and upon reflection, the song becomes a rich and layered portrayal of the internal monologue of being at the absolute zenith of a nihilistic depression. I hate them, and I stare deeply and wonder why I haven't pulled the trigger. With a cursory listen, the lyrics do offer a surface-level description of what it's like to be actively depressed. Lines like, I try so hard to pretend that it doesn't hurt, but hurts so much. How can I feel so strong and be so fucked? are at least accurate, if a little on the nose. The protagonist reacts to this experience by doing what most people do, even in 2021, which is to just suffer and go on. I will push through with strength, and I will push through, through you, destroy you fucker. The closing verse sounds like it could just be random mosh nonsense, lines like bust that bitch through the floorboard, but in context, it calls attention to how poisonous powering through can be if it goes on for long enough. Eventually, being strong becomes refusing to be vulnerable, and vulnerability is the only way that people relate to each other. So the outro that I talked about is the same disembodied monotone woman who called for the dismemberment and torture of domestic abusers back on the system as racist and oppressive. But this time, she's articulating what I recognise as bloomer rhetoric. And I remember life is fucking beautiful. It's fucking incredible to be here and I can do anything I fucking want. For those who don't hang out in those corners of the internet, a bloomer is the foil of Duma, a meme capturing the nihilistic outlook on life as it applies to Gen Z. Zoomers. Zoomer, Duma, Bloomer. Bloomer personifying the personal freedom and self-love that can be one outcome of applying nihilism to life. The thing with being on the other side of an existential crisis like the one in Ten of Swords is that you're never really free of it. The disembodied voice describes it correctly. Something just snaps. One day you either find something interesting to do, though it doesn't satisfy the gaping void you're trying to fill, 
or you successfully distract yourself for long enough to snap back into the normal autopilot of life. Personally, I think the normal autopilot of life as a terrifying way of living, congruent with living a waking coma. For me, the idea of being an extra in someone else's narrative, someone who chooses to engage with the world around them while I merely react to it, is literally worse than death. The problem with that approach is that the other method requires repeatedly engaging with your own internal world, if only to learn how not to let that self-generated negativity dictate your day-to-day life. If that was fun, everyone would do it. It sucks, and it's painful, and it means often finding yourself back in the shoes of antagonist AD's protagonist on Ten of Swords. I'm drowning and slipping, and slipping and drowning. I like the Bloomer meme so much, because engaging with the pointlessness of life as an absurd experience, and after thousands of years of lofty philosophical thought, nobody has done a great job of articulating what a good or an ethical life is, especially for the working classes, and definitely not in a democratic industrial society. Ten of Swords does not do this, but it does form part of the social narrative that the Bloomer is also a part of. Through memes, the Bloomer does do this, or at least it attempts to do this. A Bloomer recognises the negative thought trains when they come, and decides to get off before it drives them into depression. A Bloomer recognises that their thoughts and feelings work both ways. Dwelling on nihilistic thoughts will make you sad, but being sad will also make you dwell on nihilistic thoughts. A Bloomer builds a life around the maintenance required to avoid a really bad depressive episode, Things like eating real food, sleeping 8 hours a night, exercising regularly, seeing your friends. Ten of Swords isn't just a hardcore song about being sad. It's an accurate and real description of working through the constant back and forth of functioning as an adult with depression. I'd like to see Ten of Swords expanded to a whole concept album, honestly. It's impossible to do justice to being suicidally depressed, the toxic outcomes of trying to just push through, the first day waking up and noticing that the sunshine is warm, and also what the inner monologue of long-term recovery sounds like. Ten of Swords crams all that into three minutes and wraps it in mosh bait hardcore, which to me is a disservice to that theme, even if the song itself is a huge credit to the band. So, I've been seeing some commentary across the great white internet about people feeling like they don't belong when they go to shows. Maybe more people are going to shows for the first time, since not much else is on. Or maybe there's more people returning to it. Or maybe we're just less willing to accept what's always been as what always should be after a year away. I don't think these feelings are something we should ignore. This is an issue that's always been here, and it's something the genre and the subculture do by design. Sometimes it can feel very much like everyone else is different from you, and so aren't going to accept you, and that you're more like an outsider than a participant. It's especially true if you don't like the idea of throwing down in the mosh pit, or if you ended up going alone for whatever reason. I think this is important to talk about, because this is exactly the kind of thing that happens out in the normiverse that attracts people to heavy music in the first place. I think it's important to recognise and validate that, yeah, It does seem very much like there's a cool group at heavy shows, especially small ones, that you're not a part of. I'd like to talk a little bit about what my experience was like and is like now, and how that feeling impacts my enjoyment and my participation in the scene. 
I'd also like to spend a bit of time convincing you that the truth is, for a bunch of different reasons, you are already in the cool group. And while there aren't a lot of external markers to say that this is true, it's built into the philosophy of the subculture. So there are more accurate ways to frame feeling isolated when you don't know anybody at a show where it seems like everyone knows everyone else. So why is a hardcore show so different from something like a rock concert? I doubt there are too many people feeling left out when they go to see Taylor Swift play Suncorp Stadium. Well, at a local show, everybody kind of dresses the same. It's not exactly the same, obviously, but in general there's a little variation away from black jeans and a black band t-shirt. Women's fashion does have more variety, but it is still heavily influenced by what everyone else is doing and by alternative culture. When you're standing at the front of a venue with your ticket in hand, sporting any colour at all, you can automatically feel put on the back foot. The makeup and the hairstyles for both men and women at shows can look intimidating. It's clear that nobody here has come from the office. If you have, these people all look very different from you. Good start. Once you get inside, you can see that people have split off into their own groups, some bigger than others. Every now and then you'll witness two people see each other from across the room and they'll make an elaborate showing of meeting again. Old friends who haven't seen each other for a while, or show-going regulars who might see each other every other weekend. Their groups will coalesce, everyone will meet, and they'll make a bunch of new friends. A process that you, as a new showgoer, have not been involved in. You watch a form of emo incest unfold in front of you. You just came for the band. You don't know anyone here. You didn't realise there was some complex social structure built around hardcore shows. The opening bands will play, and it'll be better because everyone's doing what you're doing, watching the show. But even then, you might see mosh pits, slam pits, circle pits, even a rowboat pit. And you can see that there's an entire culture hanging off of this heavy music thing. Why would anybody want to go and get themselves accidentally punched in the head, or potentially kicked in the guts? Why would you set up in a wall of death and run at someone else? Who in their right mind would get down and pretend to row during a song? Whatever weird rituals these people have, they're not your rituals. All of a sudden, you spot the singer of one of the openers just standing in the crowd, maybe with only one other person, just in the crowd, like they weren't just up on stage. You might see them rejoin a group of people from earlier. That can feel very alienating. You don't know anyone from any of the bands, and you're definitely not in any. If you were even at a Smith Street band show and Will Wagner walked into the crowd, he'd be swamped. There's no opportunity for him to just hang out and watch the other bands. So why is it not the same here? Does everybody just know each other well enough that it's no big deal that this person who has crafted these lyrics and has played this show that meant something to so many people just hang out and not be approached? After all of this, walking away from a heavy gig after speaking to nobody and seeing all of these strange subcultural rituals might leave you thinking that heavy music just isn't for you. You don't know anyone who makes the music. None of your friends are real showgoers. You work a pretty normal job and you look pretty normal. You don't even own a pair of black jeans, and the only band shirt you own is an old Soundwave shirt you wear to bed. Maybe heavy music is just for these people, not for you. Maybe you don't belong here. I can guarantee you that you do belong here. I want to talk a little bit about my initiation into the heavy music scene. I started going along to shows when I was very young, but by no means do you need to be a lifer to belong. It's okay to be 30 and going to see Northlane for the first time. Heavy music isn't for kids. 
You don't have to have been moshing in nappies to be allowed to buy tickets to see a band. So I'd bought a ticket to a bigger show in Brisbane. I think it was a Parkway concert or something. It was big enough that they weren't playing on the Sunshine Coast where I'm actually from. I was a teenager, so I had to catch the train in and out, and I had to get a parent to pick me up for the bus stop. I grabbed a flyer on the way back for a North Lane show in Danville. They were touring their EP and I liked it, and I was keen to go to another concert after the one I'd just seen. It was cheap, too, because most all-ages shows for headlining bands with only an EP are cheap. So a couple of weeks later, I caught a bus to Nambour, and I had the exact experience that I've just described. Everybody looked very different, their hair was very different, they all seemed to know each other, band members ducked outside to smoke with everybody else between sets, and people even knew the words to opening band songs. Sometimes it was members of one band moshing during another band's set. A completely alienating experience for me. I was used to feeling like an outsider at this point. It was early high school, and I was still mostly friends with people who went to primary school with me, and up until maybe only 12 months earlier, I was a really big kid. Back in those days, childhood obesity was still something to be surprised by, so I'd been the fat kid for years and years. The experience of standing outside and looking in was not at all new to me. I think the physical image difference between that scene and what I thought I looked like was what struck me the most. Most of the boys were tall and quite thin, and they had dyed black hair. None of this was close to what I saw when I looked in the mirror. It was completely in line with the kind of us-and-them physical differences I'd had ingrained in me so deeply by this point. And, like, maybe that was the only reason that my first local show wasn't also my last. I was already so familiar with that me-and-them style of social structure. Eager to make some kind of friends here who liked this weird and angry music that I was into, I spent that show meeting people between sets, finding other people who had gone alone or in groups of two. I don't know that I ever saw most of those people again, but I at least saw that people at those shows were friendly, and they were happy to chat, even if they did look scary and they smelled of cigarette smoke. For most of my time as a local show participant, I haven't had a consistent group of people who will go with me. Some of my friends outgrew their heavy music phase, which is just the right thing to do for those people. Some of my friends were never really my friends, and we've either grown apart or I made a point of growing apart. There are a couple of people who will go with me now, but only sporadically, and we don't like all the same bands, so I'll often still find myself going alone. Especially to smaller shows where only idiots like me who spend time finding new talent will know the headliner. I've been a part of this for long enough now that I don't feel like I need to be accepted and included so much as I include myself. At the end of the day, the minimum experience I'm after is to go and have the live music experience, which is ultimately an experience of consuming. I don't need to add anything, and neither does anybody else, for it to be an enjoyable use of my time. But thankfully, the heavy music scene is just not that insular, and I have never settled for the minimum experience. Anytime I go to a show alone, I invariably walk away with a new friend. I've had people buy me beers, share tables with me, find they're from a town I've lived in, or even just have the same breed of dog as me. Sometimes they find me, a non-threatening emo doing his best not to look at his phone between sets, and sometimes I find them, people who look out of place and might be at risk of thinking that this whole heavy music thing isn't for them. One of the pieces of wisdom I've been fortunate enough to pick up through years of fucking it up is that for the most part, everyone feels the same way you do about the same things that you do. It turns out that if you're worried that these people won't accept you, or they'll treat you like a freak for daring to wear blue jeans, the reverse is also true. They're worried that you're busy thinking you're better than all these degenerates, and that they're being graced by your presence. 
something I'm still trying to work on is recognizing this and acting based on it. If you want to make a friend and feel like you belong here, well, so does everybody else. It's not any different to going to a new school or to a new workplace where there's this assumption that there's an inner circle that you're not a part of, but there's nobody there who sits around thinking that they're in the inner circle. There might be lots of circles, but none of them are the most important one, and none of the best. The other people here just want to feel included the same way that you do. And the most inclusive thing to happen to you at that moment after the first band finishes and everyone starts talking would be for somebody to walk up and say hello. Well, that can be scary for people, especially if they're concerned that you don't want to be spoken to or scared of overwhelming you if there's a few people who have come together. In some cases, it's important that you can be the brave person to go up and say hi first. How might you do it at a nightclub or at a Sunday sesh? Is this really any different? If you choose to start wearing what everybody else wears and making some friends who go to shows with you, then that's great. Feeling included is easier when you look the same and everything is better with friends. It's just important to know that this isn't a prerequisite of coming along to a show and having fun. I'd like to address regular show-going listeners who feel at home at any heavy gig. Since doing this podcast, I've had a friend ask me if he was allowed to like this music without knowing anybody in the scene. That's got to be one of the worst indictments on our genre that I've ever heard. Imagine feeling connected to all the same music that we do, having guilty pleasure playlists full of Escape to Fade and My Chemical Romance, and feeling like the real fans of that music wouldn't like it if they knew that he listened to it. I know that there is a hangover exclusivity from like the Tumblr era, but we have got to do better than that. Apart from the fact that the health of the scene is entirely reliant on new people coming in, including new adults, it makes me feel awful to think that something that helps me feel so connected and so understood might be out of bounds to somebody else just because of our vibe. If you find yourself being a representative of our weird little subculture, maybe at work or at a party with fewer than two piercings per person on average, I'm asking you to be a role model of inclusivity for all of us. Remember that all of this anger and harshness is about connection and reflection. It's not at all about actually scaring normies. Be an ambassador, the kind of person who makes people feel like they could have a lot of fun at a heavy show and like the music is written for them too, not just for you and not just for your friends. I think that by participating in a community, you do become more a part of it, much more than an observer might. For some communities, there is a huge barrier for entry to participation. For example, are you a part of your local golf community until you're a regular at the course? Are you a part of the motorsport community until you've got a few races under your belt? Or the tabletop RPG community until you have hours and hours of playtime behind you? Participation in the heavy music scene is one of the lowest bars around. All you need to do is buy a ticket. The truth is, they might seem very much like there's a cool group, but you're just witnessing a lot of people who have spent their formative years rejecting pop culture's influence on hierarchy. There's nobody here who's interested in how much money you earn, or if you own a house, or how many friends you have, or if you're married. In general, the interest is in what your experience has been. What are you doing for yourself? What are you doing for the people around you? Do you talk to other people with respect, even if those people make significantly less money than you, or if they're disabled? or have intense social anxiety, or like bands that you don't like. When you walk into a heavy show, 
you're watching that rejection of normie culture and this higher importance on interpersonal relationships play out. There is no part of metalcore that leans on normie culture. Just by walking in, you're ticking that box. When it comes to interpersonal relationships, well, that's up to you. Going to a hardcore show can be daunting if you're going alone or if it's fear first, and especially if those two things occur together. Everyone's wearing black, there's a lot of eyeliner going on, and it seems to be about a whole lot more than just the music. It's not surprising that you'd feel like there's a cool group and you're not in it. Remember, that's the point of this whole thing. The sound and the aesthetic, it's all in opposition to the world outside, and if you identify as a part of that world, it can feel like it's in opposition to you. But I'm here confirming that that is not how it is. I have a lot of experience feeling like an outsider, in both the world outside of heavy music and sometimes the world inside it, both as a kid and as an adult. I've been doing this for 12 years or more, and I feel like an outsider sometimes. There's always someone who goes to more shows, more band shirts, bigger stretches, longer hair, more friends in bands. It can somehow feel like there's this nebulous heavy scene that exists just out of reach, and they're where the real heart of it is, and I'm just a hanger-on who shows up sometimes. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Being a part of this weird and wonderful community isn't actually measured in how many pairs of black jeans you have, or how many people squeal and run over to you when you walk into a venue. It's measured in whether or not you have a ticket to the show and that's it. You're already a part of the cool group just by turning up. Next time you find yourself at a show, or feeling like this whole thing might not be for you, be braver than the next person and come and introduce yourself. I'm excited to meet you. We all are. So wrapping up this episode, lately I've been really into the new Starve EP. Uh, There's nothing special really about it. There's no crazy thematic thing that I'm really digging. It's just a really, really good EP. Uh, It's getting a lot of attention on the Metalcore subreddit. It's worth checking out if you're into proper heavy Metalcore. I'm also really digging the new Deadlights track, The King of Nowhere, from their album The Uncanny Valley, which comes out on May 21st. Uh, You'll find that on the Pitfiend playlist on Spotify, along with their other single, Born of a Lie, and whatever Starve tracks I'm vibing when I put them on. You can find Pitfiend on Instagram at Pitfiend Podcast, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash pitfiend. Now, of course, you can join the Discord at discord.link slash pitfiend. If you're an Australian band, or you represent one, and you'd like to submit something to be featured, just get in contact on any platform, and I'll see you next time. (laughs) 